Hi, y'all, and welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. Once upon a time, there was light in my life. Now there's only love in the dark. Nothing I can say, total eclipse of the heart. Okay, I bet you know where this is going. That's right. The eclipse happened. But first, I want to say that you should all go right now and watch that Bonnie Tyler video. In an odd twist of events, I've actually been watching Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield video this week for an art project that I'm doing. And I just realized that these two songs, Total Eclipse of the Heart, Love is a Battlefield, and also Cyndi Lauper's first album, She's So Unusual, all came out in 1983. That must have been a pivotal year for me as a young person because all of these pop ladies loom large in my visual, my very visual memory. Some serious strong women in pop. And pretty much all I did in my 12-year-old life was go to school, come home, and watch MTV and talk on the phone to Tara Truitt about the videos that we were watching on TV. That was a very dramatic time and music videos. A lot of them actually have plots and actors that speak outside of the song, like the beginning of the Pat Vinatar video, where she's supposed to be a runaway, even though I'm pretty sure she's like 30 years old. There's the bus to the big city. It shows her getting ready to leave home and her mom's looking all sad and distraught. And then her dad's like, If you leave this house now, you can forget about coming back. And then there's the Cindy Lauper with Lou Ferrigno, the wrestler, playing her dad. Cindy pins him up against the wall. Another domineering father rebellion, successful with also... I might add some really great fashion choices going on at the same time. This is actually, watching these videos is really actually helping a lot, explaining, shedding some light on my inner child here. I wasn't actually hatched from an egg mom. It was really MTV that birthed my inner feminist. And the Bonnie Tyler Toto Eclipse video, same year, lots of shirtless, very muscular men, One of them with handmade-looking angel wings, billowing fabrics blowing all around. And the real weird part of that video is the choir made up of kids with glowing eyeballs. Man, 1983. Gotta spend some time re-watching these videos, y'all. This is serious dissertation material. So anyway, let's get back to the eclipse. Geeked it up yesterday. I hope all of you guys did too. For Eclipse Day. Did a lot of finagling on what was also my first day of classes to get my paramour, my kids, and I all into the path, the path of totality. We took back roads to a little park on Lake Hartwell that's up by the dam on the border of South Carolina. It was oddly festive descending on this little park kind of in the middle of nowhere and there was a local radio station there playing hits about the sun 
keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. That one was on there. Hundreds of humans, a few dogs. And people were crazy prepared. They had blankets, homemade eclipse shirts. This one family had spray painted around paper plates to make their matching eclipse shirts, which I have to say were pretty awesome. People had set up tents. They were grilling out. I mean, it was impressive. And then there were some stragglers like us who got there about 20 minutes before totality happened. So we had to park on the grass on the side of the highway, way down away from the park, climb through a big drainage ditch to get up there because all the regular spaces were taken already because people had been there for hours. And all we brought were our water bottles and eclipse glasses, but we made it. And when the sun started dimming, I'm not going to lie, it was so beautifully eerie that it was scary. I felt simultaneously happy and deeply disturbed. And when it got dark, the DJs had the good sense to turn off the music and you could hear all these insects chirping at 2.30 in the afternoon. The nighttime bugs were out. The stars were out. It was mind-blowing. And the part that I wasn't going to lie about, y'all, I cried. Not like a little welling up, but big crocodile tears. And I think that was about 50% due to the emotional nature of the whole singularity of this grand celestial happening, humbling us all as little human specks. And about 50%, maybe even 60%, was because of the sheer saccharine love bubble that is also known as my six-year-old son. That kid, y'all. So like right after the total eclipse, he looks at me, he's like, mom, mommy, I think I'm still mommy. Mommy, next time there's an eclipse, I'll be as old as daddy. And I said, I probably won't be around them, but when that eclipse comes, you might think about this eclipse and maybe you'll remember me and you having this conversation. And he looks at me and he says, mommy, I will remember everything about you. Dead serious, he says this, like looking me in the eyes. And I just melted, y'all. Crocodile tears. <laughs> I know I'm his mom, but seriously. Total eclipse of the heart. Yes, it was. Okay. So that's me cheesing out, but I think we all needed that eclipse. It was amazing. Brought us all together. That's up. That's the main thing that's up with me this week. A little slice of my little human special eclipse afternoon for you guys. <clears throat> it's only Tuesday, but I feel like I've done a whole week's worth of stuff already. And it's only going to get crazier. I don't know why I thought it would be a good idea to do a double Peachy Keen release that coincided with the first week of classes. But here we are. So, no. Really, I know why I did it. It's because I wanted an excuse to hang out with Shakura and Veronica at the Atlanta Contemporary. And this is a special time for the Contemporary. It is the time of Art Party, their annual fundraiser event. Y'all already heard from one of their studio artists, Shakura, in our last episode. Check that out if you haven't already before you go to Art Party this weekend. And when I was there talking with Shakura, I also sat down, and I'm doing that air quotes thing again, because we never actually sat. I stood across from Veronica Kesnick, the director of the Atlanta Contemporary, in her office the same morning I talked to Shakura. 
Veronica has one of those standing desks. So we did this whole recording standing across from each other with her standing desk between us. She has an enviable office, y'all, with quite an art collection on the walls, which I guess one would expect since she is the director of a major arts institution. But part of what makes her office so enviable is not only does she have all of this thought-provoking, interesting, beautiful work on the walls, but her office has kind of a warmth that you don't usually find in art institutions. It's a little on the homey side, plants, some nice natural light, you can check out some of the pics on the, on our podcast page. And personifying that environment, Veronica was easy to chat with. She gave me a little background on how she got to be the person standing in that enviable office and leading the ship known as the Atlanta Contemporary as they gear up to reopen this Saturday with Art Party after being closed for a few weeks for capital improvements. Here I am talking with Veronica in her office at the Atlanta Contemporary. Like, where did you, are are you an Atlanta person? I am. I am born and raised in Marietta, Georgia. So I grew up, I'm a Piedmont baby. Okay. So I, um, my parents met when they were both in college and moved to Atlanta on their honeymoon. And my father's from New Orleans, and my mom is from Cleveland, Ohio. And they mm-hmm. met in college and came to Atlanta and never left. And so um, I, you know, I, I grew up, I was probably, um, you know, I was always drawing and um, a little bit of creative, I would say, and um, reading a lot when I was younger. And uh, when I was in high school, I... And I was a dancer. I think that's kind of my big thing. I started dancing when I was three, and I quit when I was about um, 13, maybe 13, 14 years old. I had an injury hmm. that I just couldn't really um, get over. I sprained my ankle really badly. And um, and it was kind of one of those times where it was, you know, do you continue on to that and not have a life and not have a high so school So 13, what, mm-hmm. what is that, like middle school? That's like <clears throat> seventh grade. Seventh grade. Mm-hmm. So you're already making this career decision about dancing yeah. in the seventh grade. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a little bit of a, um, I'm, I'm pretty driven and focused. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, and I just, I really, like I could have danced every day and every weekend and just wouldn't have had a life. And so... When I got to, I went to Marist High School, and I got involved in the marching band, so pretty, pretty giant um, nerd, you could say, and... One of my good friends went to Marist. You don't know Denise McMorrow, do you? Oh, yeah, of course. Really? Yeah. <laughs> she oh was in the gosh. marching band, too. She oh, yeah. The piccolo. She's mm-hmm. a good friend of mine. She oh, went yeah. to Pratt with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just visited her in Pittsburgh oh, over the summer. Hi, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we actually, I played the flute as well, and so I knew, I knew her very well, actually. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah and so then I... Uh, I went and I was always, you know, just kind of in the theater and in that kind of that building, you know, and um, took an art history class and just fell in love with art history. And I think what it was was just the idea that it was the culmination of everything, you know, all the humanities, all the politics, all the economics. 
everything wrapped into this visual language. And I just got completely obsessed. Um, and, but of course, you know, when, when I went to college and everything, you know, I had my dabbling of like, I'm going to be a lawyer, which lasted about a <laughs> semester. So where did you go to college? Um, I went to St. Mary's College. It's a small liberal arts college across the street from the University of Notre Dame. Oh. It's an all-women's college, and um, it was amazing. It was just incredible. And I went there primarily because I wanted to study abroad, and they had an incredible program to Rome, Italy. Hmm. And so I went there to go to Rome you know, in a sense. And so you knew about their study abroad program before you even went there? I did. My, um, it sounds very kind of unadventurous, but um, my mother and father went to Notre Dame and St. Mary's respectively, and oh. my brother went to Notre Dame. And Legacy. I, it was a little legacy. I tried everything in my power not to go there, kind <laughs> of, and then uh, and for a while I was like, I'm just not going to go to college, which, of course, you know, again, was not really my intention, and um, and I just I wanted to do everything in my power. We had traveled a lot when we were kids, and uh, my parents are kind of voracious travelers and planners, mm-hmm. and love to you know dig deep into nationalities and cities and things like that. And um, and so yeah, it just kind of I, I did everything in my power to get to Italy. And so, are you guys Catholic? Raised yes. Catholic. Okay. Yes. <laughs> See this theme and the I know college right? choices really, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I applied to NYU and I got in and I just chose kind of not to go so um as it was just I wanted I think at the time I think I wanted something a little bit smaller and you know and you know you're 18 years old and the world is your oyster and you think like I'll get to New York and you know have you ever lived in New York I've never lived in New York yeah yeah no, seems like almost there. everybody here has at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I've lived in other places. I, I went to college and I lived in Italy and then I went to graduate school at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Oh, sweet. So, And where did you live in Italy? In Rome. So mm-hmm. I was Probably in l'italiano? Si, un pochissimo. Ah. <laughs> Ma non, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I took I classes it. in college and yeah. I can vaguely understand it now. But yeah. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I've only been to Venice once okay. a long time ago, and uh, it was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, Venice like is magical. Could talk about, uh, yeah, Venice was very interesting. I was really, you know, uh, <laughs> from the point of this being a, a conversation with women, I remember one thing that really struck me was the machismo, and uh, oh, yeah. uh, I remember going out to a nightclub, and there was these guys there like, hey, baby, do you speak English? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> did you find, like, a lot of that when you were there? What year were you, were you there? I was there in 1998 to 1999. Okay. So, Ooh, a long time. A long time. Yeah, I was there for an entire year. And, of course, I met an Italian. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still friends 20-odd years later. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't – I. <laughs> I didn't really have that problem. I was a little bit of my own kind of self mm-hmm. running around Rome. So I was probably just oblivious. I was, you know, running into churches when I saw that the doors were open and exploring every single weekend and making friends with complete strangers and on trains and stuff like that. So I was ignoring all, all the boys except for the one that I was friends with. Right. So, Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. do you think your Catholicism had something to do with you wanting to be there? Or? Um, 
You know, it's interesting because um, there is a during the forty days of Lent, um, they do the forty station churches, and they're usually it's a pilgrimage, kind of hearkening back to ancient times when people would go on pilgrimages, which obviously people still do to like ancient cities like Mecca and things like that. Um, but I I wanted to do that because they open up churches that are typically closed to the public because they're in disrepair or they have, you know, extremely expensive murals and things that they can't maintain. And so I did the 40 days of Lent pilgrimage churches, mm. which is at five o'clock in the morning. Um, and I'm not really a morning person. All right. So it took a lot of effort, but really it was just because I'm just this complete voyeur and wanted to just see everything. And, um, so it's really weird as a, as a raised Catholic to have gone on like an actual pilgrimage. Um, but I'm, I'm not a practicing Catholic. So. Oh, no. No. Have you ever been to, you know about the Mary woman in Conyers? No. Speaking of pilgrimages. Oh gosh. Back in the nineties, there was this woman in Conyers who could speak to Mary. Oh, no, and I've like never heard of that. Tons of people would go, and I went one time. No, I had friends who went to Magigoria and things like the things like that, but um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Conyers, well done, Conyers. Um, it was weird. Yeah. It was a, it was a, for quite a few years there, I think, in the late nineties, and then there was so many traffic problems, and I guess she stopped talking to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, I don't know something. It disappeared. Well, he had other things to do, I think. Other people to communicate with. So. I guess so. Yeah. So what did you do while you were in Italy? Were you in school there? Yeah, I and was, you, it was my second year of college. So, But you were there for 10 years. No, I was there for one year. Oh, I was there I for agree? one year. 1998 okay, to I, 1999. Okay, I yeah. think I read that in my head as a decade. No. No, so just one year of Just college. one year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we did – it was really amazing because you would, you know, study um, – you know, Naples and Pompeii and all these amazing places. And then you would just like go there and mm-hmm. see things live. And it was just incredible. It was very, like, I'm, I'm kind of a hands-on approach to learning and to teaching. And so it's like, if I can just bring in somebody or we can just go there that, or bring in a painting and look at it, like, that's just kind of magical. You so know? you're an art history major. I am. And, I'm an art historian. Um, <laughs> and you, do you, wait, let me think. I was about to go somewhere with that. Oh, what is your specialization in art Late history? Late 19th, early 20th century. So I'm a modernist. Okay. Actually, which I think is, in my humble opinion, as an academic, it's where I believe the birth of contemporary art happened. Mm-hmm. So I think Paul Cezanne is kind of the grandfather of contemporary art. So it makes sense to me today that I work in contemporary art, but... Um, because I, I was very fascinated by that time period when people started to um, think about perception, and not only perception of the eye, but perception of the mind and how your surroundings and your physical, kind of mental, emotional psychology can impact how you perceive the world. So, which mm-hmm. is very much so how contemporary artists still operate today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm reading some Proust right now. I get ambitious oh, yeah. <laughs> over the summer. <laughs> that is ambitious. And uh, it's really all about that. Yeah. And it's really interesting as an artist to read it because they're so, like, their pop culture mm-hmm. was painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it was very, like, if, you know, if, if there was an actual time machine, I would want to go back to Vienna, like, right before the turn of the century and just hang out in coffee shops and talk to people and that would just be 
magical. I'm obsessed with that time period and Freud mm-hmm. and my thesis, um, my undergraduate, I actually did my thesis. We actually had to do like a, a thesis for mm-hmm. um, undergrad and mine was on Bill Viola. Um, and so, you know, video art was mm-hmm. a big thing for me and Gary Hill and Namjoon Pike. And, um, but then, and for a while I was thinking, oh, I'll go into film and kind of film history and I just, I was obsessed with a French symbolist and named Odillon Redon. And mm-hmm. I just like the smiling spider and just kind of this perverse, weird, macabre art. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went to graduate school, I studied Redon's lithographic album that was to Edgar Allan Poe. And so again, like kind of this dark. weird, dark, hello world. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So a little, a little unusual. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <Now> they will. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I like to do these long mm-hmm. form talks so we can mm-hmm. get to know you a little bit. So you teach now at Agnes Scott, mm-hmm. and what classes do you teach there? I taught contemporary uh, last semester, and it was really fun because I was kind of given carte blanche to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was a 100-level class, which I kind of ignored and made them read theory, and, uh, <laughs> which was fun. And then I brought in working contemporary artists to talk about their practice, and so, which was really fun. That was kind of towards the end of the semester. So, um, And then this upcoming semester, I'm teaching modern. So, okay. But I've, I've taught at the Art Institutes of Atlanta and Decatur and at SCAD as well. So I've taught for started teaching in 2006 or seven so and I stopped teaching when I when I started working at Atlanta Contemporary but um, Agnes Scott called and I said of course right an honor and it's fun because it's you know I went to an all-women's college it's like going home yeah it's I was beautiful. gonna ask about that so it's still all women at Agnes mm-hmm. Scott mm-hmm. and um, so it was like a comfortable environment just reminded you of your own college oh. experience. Yeah, I walked on the campus and it was just like, I'm home. Yeah. It's magical. Yeah, and the women are just uh, incredible. We actually have a couple that are interns right now as Sweet. well. So mm-hmm. I'm teaching feminist theory this semester and all of my, you know, all my students are women, whether mm-hmm. I'm teaching this class or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about. I like to have that conversation with people, but... Um, because when I was in New York, that was it was flipped. There was more men hmm. than women. But in the feminist theory, class. not in feminist oh. theory. I didn't. I did painting. Oh, okay. Um, but in painting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. It's my observation as a teacher <clears throat> that there aren't a lot of men taking art classes. I teach up in Dahlonega, so it's mm-hmm. a little bit different than Atlanta. <laughs> I have talked to some. Uh, professors in Atlanta, and, mm-hmm. and and they seem to tell me that it's more even, but you teach it at an all-women's school, so right. there's no statistics that you can yeah, throw I'm, out there. I'm thinking when I was at SCAD, it was probably actually more women. Again, art history, but I wasn't mm. teaching, you know, like an applied arts class, so, um, and the art history is kind of, yeah, it's interesting. Actually, one of my students is now our preparator mm-hmm. here at Atlanta when I taught at SCAD. So it's kind of weird how the teaching kind of comes full circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Teaching is really great practice for artists. Mm-hmm. But you do you make any art at all now, or you're just... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more of a writer. Okay. So that's kind of my, my expression, um, using language and 
Do you have books? I do not. I'm very shy about my practice, <laughs> so I'm working on that. So, um, yeah, it's something that I'm hoping to kind of let out over the next year. Oh, that sounds Probably exciting. 2018. Mm-hmm. So is it like criticism or? No, although I've, um, I'm, I think I'm going to write kind of geared towards my you know, professional life and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, like a paper or something. Right. Um, about, you know, what we're doing and... Presenting at conferences. Right. I mean, because that's just kind of, you know, a professional trajectory that you have to go down as an administrator. But, um, but no, it's much more, um, I don't know, it's a, little, it's a little magical to me. But I'm, I am very shy. I don't share it at all. <laughs> very few people have read my writing. Well, so, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, like, you have to be very courageous, I think, as an artist to, and generous as an artist to say, you know, this is my internal musings, and this is what I think about the world, and here, people <laughs> consume, and, um, and so, you know, and that's, I think, very, you know, generous and courageous by, by artists, and by, you know, and you hope that your audience is generous with you, and accepting, and... And challenging and those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, this podcast has taught me about that. It's definitely, <laughs> you know, you put it out there and then it's like when you put something in writing, it's in writing and it's forever yep. and it's out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with the internet, it's even more uh, kind yes. of of, an, of exposing yourself than it was before because who knows who's going right. to see or read this. It's not just people in Georgia that it's going to disappear after five years. It could right. be in there forever and ever. Yeah, and that's actually, I think that's one of the reasons why I love, like, art history and um, is because, too, thinking about, you know, what we do, what's going to last the test of time and um, and who are the artists that are working today that are going to become the next so-and-so. Um, that's a fun so. game to play, and I was having this conversation with some artists, some fellow artists the other mm-hmm. night, and we were talking about what... The whole idea of movements in the post-digital mm-hmm. era. What do you think about that? Like, oh gosh, um, I think it's. I mean, I think time is moving a lot faster than it did. Um, you know, if you think back to you know even the Renaissance or even you know kind of the symbolists or the surrealists. I mean people were very much so like building community around very specific ideas. And I think that's also happening, but it's just happening so much faster. So um, I'm not sure. I'm, I, I think we still need time to look back and actually really be able to, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty and all those things. But um, I'm not sure how I feel about it because I just think it's moving too quick for us to really understand it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's always the case, but I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's things are very different now because mm-hmm. of the internet and because of the globalization that mm-hmm. this whole one city being the center of the oh, art yeah. world is, uh, doesn't seem like that's ever going to happen again. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's still almost like a, um, I think there are still places where, where people need to go and they need to see and they need to look and train their eye and you know I think you know there are cities like that and and each one kind of has a different vantage point a different idea that they're grappling with um that I think are very much so like based in the city itself but it is dealing with you know larger global 
issues as well. So it's it's just important, I think, for people to explore and to look and to, you know, and not just, like, looking on Instagram or something right. like that, to actually physically, like, get out, go look, and, uh, and let it impact you in the way that the art was meant to be seen. Because I don't, not everything's meant to be, like, seen through this tiny handheld device or a computer. Yeah, very little mm-hmm. in terms of art. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, you know, I've, I, I take it as like a badge of honor if my paintings don't photograph well, <laughs> but then it's annoying. Right. Because I know most people aren't ever going to see them in person. Right. Well, I think that's what's interesting. Like we had, we just had our exhibition with Sasha Bronig and Paul Anthony Smith and mm-hmm. both of those artists' surfaces are just so interesting, but it doesn't really translate I mean they're still exceptionally beautiful when they're photographed and they're digitally presented but um but you really want to see like Sasha's almost lack of surface like she's done such a beautiful job in trying to make the surface not an issue that it's an issue right and then Paul Anthony Smith with how he you know does the picotage technique and it's you know, and it becomes in, in the digital realm, like, flat, and it's not. It has a yeah. dimensionality to it. I was it, surprised so. when mm-hmm. I saw that show. I was like, oh, this is what's happening. The yeah. surface is, like, it's been punctured. Yes. And so there was, like, thousands of little broken little. pieces of paper that translated as a photograph. Mm-hmm. So when you see it on the Internet, you've missed, like, the whole thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. And so I think, you know, that's, again, that's why it's important to to travel and to see and to have, you know, those conversations with other artists and with, you know, people. And I think also to challenge oneself and to, you know, have conversations that might be a little awkward or difficult or, you know, might not be the thing that you want to talk about. Because I think, you know, a lot of, like anybody in any any profession or, or any group can become rather insular. Mm-hmm. And so it's up to us to really challenge ourselves to, to go out and look at something that we otherwise might not really understand or appreciate or um, so like trying new food right you know you might not like it but um, you can't you don't know you don't like it until you've tried it how did you end up in arts administration what was that path like well I actually um I graduated from graduate school in June of 2004, and I had been an intern uh, for one month with Faye Gold Mm -hmm. here in town, and I came back, and I really, really wanted to work for her. It was my dream. Um, I'd read an article about her in Atlanta Magazine and just was obsessed with her. (laughs) <laughs> and which I can say because I worked for her for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so I started working with her. Um, I started on April 1st, April Fool's Day. It's a great day to start a job. Yes. Um, particularly as like a young adult, you know, just starting out. And uh, it was amazing. This uh, was 2004? 2004. And what was her, was she running her own gallery at she this point? She had her gallery, yeah. So her gallery was, at that point, um, we were doing the, uh, just about to start planning for the 25th anniversary show. And um, she, 
you know, the thing about Faye, and, and I try to do this with my staff, is that she just had total confidence in her people. Mm-hmm. Um, she had their back always. I mean, she's, she still does. She's our honorary chair this year for Art Party. Um, and she's, you know, an amazing, amazing person and friend and um, mentor. And, uh, yeah, she just trusted her people. Um, and, you know, when things went wrong, she... She took care of them. Um, but, but yeah, so I worked for her for six years, and I was her director of sales. Um, I was the lead salesperson with her, and then I became the gallery director. And, and then she closed in 2010 after, you know, an exceptional run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of when, when we knew the economy was starting to really tank, she, was, she bowed out, I think, very gracefully after, you know, almost 30 odd years. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of what happened. And I started teaching, um, like right away, I started teaching while I was still working with her. So I would, you know, leave work at five and drive like crazy to Sandy Springs and teach until nine 30 and then go home and do it all over again. Um, and then I, you know, time went by and I was teaching and I was nominated for the arts leaders of Metro Atlanta, the Alma organization that the Atlanta Regional Commission still runs. And I thought, huh, well, working in a nonprofit sounds really fun. Uh, Little did I know. It's it's fun. Um, Little did I know. And then literally about 10 days later, the, um, Atlanta Contemporary Arts Center at the time, that was what our name was, posted a job for the development director position. And I knew Stuart and Stacy, and I was friends with them. And, like, I mean, like 10 days later, I was the development director here. It was like a magical, weird, kind of amazing thing. I'm always joking. I'm like, I would love to win a million dollars, you know, but, you know, that, that hasn't happened. But, um, but yeah, so I started... And June of uh, 2013, and I was hired to do the fundraising for the capital campaign and renovation. So four years, and you're now the director. I'm now the director. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. It was uh, not what I thought was going to happen, but I don't think anything is ever what you think is going to happen. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's been an incredible run, and um, you know we've uh, we did the capital campaign and renovation, and the building is just incredibly beautiful. The architectural firm Buildings did all the design work for it, and um, in the process of all of that, uh, we wrote a grant for the um, Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta for the Capitalization Fund, and received the funding to eliminate admission fees which was incredible and so yeah it's been an interesting um interesting five years so Um, how many people work at the contemporary um five actually we're a very small team wow yeah that surprises me yeah it's such an institution thank you (laughs) (laughs) five people yeah you guys are doing a great job thank you hopefully hopefully more um we are actively looking, but um, yeah, there's myself as the executive director, and then there's Daniel Fuller as our curator. Um, we have, yeah, it's five. Um, 
We have Abby Bullard, who was our visitor services associate. She started a year ago at Art Party mm-hmm. and is now our development and grants coordinator. We have Maggie Benoit, who is our events manager, um, so external and internal events. And that's actually all in terms of full-time staff. So there's four, really. And then we have um, Tiffany Dover. She's our bookkeeper, and she kind of... You know, she's in charge, I joke. Um, actually, everybody's in charge, except for me. No, I'm teasing. Um, and then Alex Christopher Williams, who is our preparator and mm-hmm. kind of facility controller. So he manages the property. And, you know, it's 30,000 square feet, and there's always something happening. Yeah, and so you, when I came in, we're under construction right now. So yes. we've been closed since what day? We've been closed since <clears throat> July 30th. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... We're doing some renovations. Yes, we're doing some capital improvements. I capital can, improvements. Capital improvements. It's our, <laughs> it's our sneaky way of saying we're, we're ripping things apart. Um, so we are, we're actually, we're putting a new roof on our building. Um, well, technically it's a roof on top of a roof, but right. it's new to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to ensure the integrity of the works and, you know, it's mission critical that we we have a good roof, right? And um, <laughs> as, as you can imagine, and then we're also building a staircase into the old coal chute. So it's called Chute Space, and that's C H U T E, like a coal chute. And uh, we're really excited. It's a beautiful space that I think lends itself really well to sound and light installation. It's really cool. tiny. So it's like an echo chamber. Yeah, it's pretty magical. <clears throat> so we're going to reopen. At Art Party? Yes. And what day is that? It's Saturday, August 26th. Okay. And, you know, hopefully everybody, please pray that it doesn't rain. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a rain or shine party. Right. And a lot of it is outdoors. It's like fancy food and stuff? Yes. So we have vendors. We are um, we're being very strategic as well and that we're inviting community arts organizations as partners for the night. Okay. So we're... Um, we have confirmed them. We're um, we're actually building a maze on the pavilion um, where everybody can go and experience kind of the thing that these people do well. And we'll have burlesque girls welcoming everybody into the night. And then obviously it's an art party. So there are numerous exhibitions opening. I saw this one artist that I'm super excited about. Who? Um, I'm afraid I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but I saw her work in the High Museum. It's like the Brugs that oh, have been Anna. burned. Mm-hmm. Yes. What is her yeah. last name? Anna Betbees. Betbees. Mm-hmm. Her work isn't up at the High anymore, but it was up like a year ago, mm-hmm. and it was my favorite piece. Mm-hmm. And so I, when yeah. I saw, I looked on the website before I came, and I'm so excited. Yeah, it's going to be see beautiful. Her work. We have. Like one of the things that we've done um, <clears throat> since I became the director was we leave the larger galleries up longer. Mm. Um, so it's a, you know, to be quite honest, it's a cost-saving mechanism because um, they're very expensive to drive the artwork down. Because what we what we like to say is that we bring a lot of outside artists into Atlanta to impact the work being done by the Atlanta artists that are here. Yeah. Um, so and that that's not to say that obviously we had a Lonnie Holly exhibition who is an Atlanta based artist. Um, but then we've identified, and that's why shoot space is so important. We've identified these little project spaces. So there's 
sliver space, which is going to have Yannick Norman doing a project installation in. Mm -hmm. um, we have Contemporary on Site, which harkens back to our artist-run legacy of inviting um, regionally southeastern-based artist-run spaces to come in and curate in our in our space. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll have shoot space. And then, of course, we have the Studio Artist Program Wall. We've invited Katie Beringer from Cover Books to come in and curate a bookshop in our space. So a lot of it is about, you know, kind of cross-pollinating, opening doors, um, and getting people, like building community around contemporary art and contemporary artistic discourse. And in a sense, hearkening back to our name of Nexus, which was right. know, a convening space <clears throat> and a community space. And then, Why did that name change? I I wasn't there, so <laughs> I, I don't want to speak for my my okay. predecessors. But um, but was, what year did Nexus begin? I mean, what, that was the first name of the contemporary. Yes, so we were founded in 1973. Okay, so we are a 44-year-old arts center and institution. Okay. Um, going to be celebrating 45 years, and it's going to be. That's Amazing. Awesome. And um, at the art party, the artist um, studios mm -hmm. are going to be open? Yes. And how many artists do you guys have here now? Fourteen. Okay, so that's so exciting. all of the studios will be open. And how do people get tickets to this? Do they? Is it a ticketed event? It is. It is our fundraiser. Um, so we do everything else free admission mm -hmm. for the entire year, um, with the exception of a few, like, Movement Love, which is a yoga and artistic practice-based things, and that's... But all that money, if, you, if it's ever a ticket, it always goes 100% to the artist. We take zero of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so Art Party has a ticket price so that we can underwrite free admission for the entire year. Because okay. free is not free. Right. Um, it's still very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yes. So okay. our website, um, there's numerous different platforms. Um, Scout Mob has also, we've partnered with them this year. So they have a... A discounted ticket. So tickets are $50. Scout Mobs are four, is 40 I think. And then tickets at the door are 60 Okay. Mm -hmm. So that sounds fun. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we want to cover. We're coming. It's we're right at 1030. So, oh. yeah, time flies. Is there anything you want to express that we have not covered? I don't think so. I mean, I think, uh, I think one of the things is that um, – you know, Atlanta is a really remarkable city, mm. and I think it has incredible artists, incredible creative people. Um, the food scene is phenomenal, and you know, I I really think that uh, like we're stronger together, and we're you know the city too busy to hate and all those sorts of things. But um, but I think it's a it's a really wonderful opportunity that we have here to really be impactful and intentional with what it is we're doing and um, you know things take time and I think that uh, good things take a lot of time and so we're we're very much so being intentional in how we think about the future of this organization and how we can serve a growing community of arts patrons and and just people who are curious um, and we're trying to be as open and as generous as possible. We we say that we just want to be a safe and thought-provoking space to talk about contemporary art, contemporary artistic issues. So do you I notice any? Will come. Oh yeah. Do you notice any changes? Like having grown up here, and I mean, were you 
when did you first become involved in the Atlanta art scene? Uh, I actually came to Art Party uh, back in the day. Okay. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I would say that I probably became more involved when I was working with Faye um, and kind of really got infiltrated into that um, and became, like, my eyes opened up to what what is available, um, not only in Atlanta, but in the world. And um, so... I think Atlanta has, it's grown up a Mm -hmm. lot, Um, but it's also, I think, one of the beautiful things about it is that it retains this nimble, um, you know, not to steal from Martin Luther King Jr., but it it is a city where you can have dreams and you can see those dreams become a reality. And, uh, And so that, I mean, not having ever lived in New York or Chicago or L.A., I think there's a lot more red tape to stuff and you have to really kind of work the system and um you know I mean my email is on the website and my cell phone number is in my email when I reply like we're very accessible yes Daniel and I and the rest of the staff and um and I think that's unique it is Mm -hmm. well speaking of accessible thanks for having me into your office um it was a pleasure to talk to you same thank you was a lovely chat. Thanks so much to Veronica for sharing your voice and your vision with us. I hope you guys will all make it out to Art Party at the Atlanta Contemporary this weekend to see the aforementioned capital improvements in the flesh. Check out the six new exhibitions all scheduled to open at the event and visit with the resident studio artist, including Shakura Kennard, our last guest here on the podcast. You can find links to purchase tickets for Art Party through the Peachy Keen tab on my website at VivianLiddell.com. That's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please help support it by leaving a review on iTunes or by contributing financially through our Patreon page. Until next time, hang in there with those busy first days of fall. I hope they're all peachy keen.